everybody. Welcome to Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me from the hazmat unit up in Washington, it is my usual co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how are you doing today? Oh, my gosh, I've been better. Um, you might even hear it in my voice, but you know what? I, I'm ready to do a show. I caught this weird sickness that's going around. I can't remember what it's called. But a lot of people seem to be getting it, and I'm stuck in my room for 10 days. So you can guess what it is. That's right. It's the Chlamydia. Flu. Well. No, oh, sorry. no was, not anymore. That was my bad. That was my uh, Well, uh, we are masked up here, uh, even though we're, we're, you know, not in the same studio. We're, we're playing it safe. We want to make sure that we all stay. This connection is really really good it's like a high definition connection so you probably want to wear a mask yeah definitely um well let's get right into it this is actually a this is a very exciting episode and uh, it's going to be a long episode i'm just warning you we this is uh going to be probably well it is our longest episode we've ever done on this show but it is well worth it we've we've put it out there on social media we mentioned it last week on our show this is actually part two of a collaboration that we did with the Baseball Beyond Batting Average podcast, where we are looking at the 1990 season in depth. Last week on the BBBA podcast, we joined them and we looked at the National League. So if you want to hear part one and you haven't listened to that, please go find if you haven't been listening to them all along the BBBA podcast and you can hear us and uh, Andy and Mark from from that podcast talking about the 1990 National League. This week, they are going to be our guests here, and we're going to talk about the American League. So it's very exciting. They've got a lot of great numbers, and we talk about baseball cards. We talk about, you know, just the usual stuff that we do, kind of the weird stories. It should be a really good time. I hope everybody enjoys both parts. But Mark, before yeah, we get... really cool guys. Well, yeah, I mean, that's maybe a little, little, little strong, but yeah, no, no, they are. Wow. <laughs> they, they are really good guys. We really enjoy when we get to talk with them. But before we get to that, we've got to do, uh, get into our regular BP segment. We're going to make it kind of short because this is a long episode, but uh, I had some, some important things happened in the past year and past week. So I wanted to talk about those really quick as we start, uh, you know, start a new year here. Obviously, last week we lost another Hall of Famer. I would love to be able to come on this podcast for just one or two weeks in a row and not have to talk about another Hall of Famer that's passed away. But uh, last week, of course, Hank Aaron, one of the greatest Hall of Famers of all the Hall of Famers, unfortunately passed away. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about Hank Aaron. And Mark, the first thing I wanted to do is I, I... there was a lot of discussion on the internet, on social media, about what Hank Aaron had to go through. Some people were kind of whitewashing what he had to go through because it was, you know, it wasn't the time of Jackie Robinson. But my God, he went through a lot of tough, tough situations, especially as he got closer to breaking Babe Ruth's record. And I wanted to read this to you. This is from the New York Times, and this is a, a quote from Hank Aaron. And this is what he said. He said, quote, April 8th, 1974, really led up to me turning off of baseball. And of course, that's the the day that he broke the record. He says, he goes on to say, quote, it really made me see for the first time a clear picture of what this country is about. 
My kids had to live like they were in prison because of kidnap threats, and I had to live like a pig in a slaughterhouse. I had to duck. I had to go out the back door of ballparks. I had to have a police escort with me all the time. I was getting threatening letters every single day. All of these put a bad taste in my mouth, and it wouldn't go away. They carved a piece of my heart away, end quote. And uh, I don't know, Mark. That's, if, that's too bad. Yeah, if if yeah, I've seen some of these these notes before, and people had, had posted some on on social media uh, when he passed away. Just some of the disgusting letters and threatening and just derogatory letters that people sent to him. They sent to the Braves. They sent to the Commissioner of Baseball. Just degrading him and and just. Uh, it's, it's just awful. I mean, to, for him to continue to do what he did at such a high level. Uh, and he was always such a, a great ambassador, especially after he retired for the game. Uh, I just wanted to, to read that just to I, I thought it was I thought it was pretty powerful that somebody that did so much for baseball kind of hated the game at the end of his career. And uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's unfortunate. You know what? It says a lot about Hank Aaron, though, in that what he had to overcome and how uh how truly great of a player he was to keep focused when all that was going on, all the death threats and all that stuff. He stayed focused and he kept hitting home runs. And you know, what, what a ball player and what a guy. He was amazing. He really was. You, you hit it on the head. So consistent. 23 years in the game. You really just take out his last year where he, he played 85 games. There was not a single year beyond that 85-game final season that he did not play over 112 games. 112 games was the lowest amount of games that he played in a single year. I mean, just so wow. consistent. A 305 lifetime batting average, a 928 lifetime OPS for a 155 <laughs> lifetime OPS+. plus. Just He still, still leads... Uh, the entirety of baseball in RBIs and total bases for a career. And that's something I wanted to bring up here, a great stat. Hank Aaron has the most lifetime total bases of any player, as I just mentioned. He leads second place by 12 miles. Now, that is not just a, that's not a like, oh, he's so far ahead, you can't even see the person he's so far back. No, Stan Musial is in second base. He's 722 behind Hank Aaron. So oh, wow. 722 times uh, 90 is 64,980 feet. That equals 12.3 miles. So, I mean, it's just not even close. So that is just uh, an, a staggering, staggering number. I also wanted to mention, of course, uh, unfortunately, Don Sutton passed away recently. I wanted a, a great number here that I saw, a great stat. There are only two pitchers in Major League Baseball that started more games than Don Sutton. Maybe you've heard of these guys. Cy Young and Nolan Ryan. Oh, those guys. Yeah, that's some <laughs> rarefied air. The only two pitchers that have started more games than Don Sutton. Uh, Don Sutton started 774. Cy Young, 906. Nolan Ryan, 807. The last thing I wanted to mention was just in the last year, we've had so many, as we as we said, uh, Hall of Famers pass away. Just wanted to run through this list uh, since the beginning of 2020 and just think of this all-star team of, unfortunately, players that have passed. Lou Brock, Whitey Ford, Bob Gibson, Al Kaline, Don Larson, Joe Morgan, 
Phil Necro, Tom Seaver, Hank Aaron, Tommy Lasorda, and Don Sun. I mean, that's, that list is just too long. Yeah, well, it's it's long, but I mean, just think if if you could get all of those players on a single team, I mean, that would be incredible. Yeah, I, arguably that would be the best team of all time. Yeah, very well could be. Um, <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's get into trivia so that we can get into uh, to talking about the 1990 American League. I asked you a question last week, got a lot of responses, and we yeah. only we only got one correct answer, and uh, it was not the first guess, but this was this was one that uh, I, I'm going to call this a good question. <laughs> stumped a lot of people. But the question was, which player, uh, which member, let me say, of the Hall of Fame who was elected as a player has the highest winning percentage as a manager? So it's not, you know, somebody like Tommy Lasorda who went in as a manager or Connie Mack that went in as a manager. This is somebody that went in as a player and then also happened to manage who had the highest winning percentage. Any Any guesses? Um, no. How's that for color commentary? <laughs> well, I told you it wasn't Ryan Sandberg. He actually has the worst at four yes. two eight. Not good. The winningest uh, winning percentage as a manager, the highest winning percentage, I guess, would be Frank Chance with a point no five nine three winning percentage. Huh. So, of course, Frank Chance is was the first baseman of the famous Cubs Tinkers to Evers to Chance double play combo, except for Ryan Sandberg, who, you know, as we mentioned, has the worst winning percentage. The second worst is actually Johnny Evers, the aforementioned, with a oh, wow. 0.485 winning percentage. So one, <laughs> one was the best and one was the worst until Ryan Sandberg was... Uh, he was managed the Phillies for like a half a year or a year, didn't he? I think it was the Phillies. That's interesting, man. I, I, I got to tell you, man, that was a tough one. And you dig up some of these craziest trivia questions. I'm amazed our, our listeners come up with any answers sometimes. They're difficult. And I say that to cover my own butt because I never get them right. <laughs> and uh, it's fun to fun to get some, uh, some responses and see what other people think. Um, a new trivia question for next week. Five times a player has won the triple crown, but not named the MVP, which is incredible. Who was wow. the last player to be stiffed in this aspect? So who was the last player to win a triple crown and not be named MVP? You hmm. think on that. Let us uh, let us know, listeners, who, uh, who you think that would be. I guarantee you, you've heard of one. So uh, I will uh, will reveal the answer next week. But uh, for right now, let's uh, let the ground crew come out, finish up their stuff and let's get ready to move on. All right. Let's get into the main part of this week's show. Actually, let's get into the second main part of this week's show, because this is a two part spectacular crossover event that started last week on the Baseball Beyond Batting Average podcast with our friends Andy and Mark, where Two Strike Noise Mark and I joined them to discuss the 1990 National League. And now this week, they were nice enough to come join us, and we're going to talk about the 1990 American League. So if you have not listened to part one at this point, go ahead, hit pause, 
Go back and listen to the first part over on the Baseball Beyond Batting Average podcast so you don't get lost. We've got a lot of intricate plot points and some uh, some inside jokes that aren't going to make sense if you haven't listened to, to part one. But assuming you have listened to that part, let's go ahead and welcome Andy and Mark to our show. Guys, great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, we had a good time. We had a good time last week. Uh, we left on a cliffhanger uh, at the end of the National League and figured we should probably come back and, and cover the American League this week. Yeah. Now, uh, if you have listened to part one and are still, uh, or if you haven't listened to part one, I should say, and still forging ahead with us, uh, if you're not familiar with the Baseball Beyond Batting Average podcast, you guys, Andy and Mark, love to talk about counting stats, big time into wins, losses, RBIs, those kind of things, right? Yeah, those are the big ones. Those are the ones that that matter for pitchers. Uh, It's wins and losses. Uh, those are the those are the two really that matter. <laughs> it's all that's all we're going to talk about. Yeah, is just wins and losses, Jack and Mars maybe game winning RBIs. Oh, yes, whatever Jack Mars is good at. <laughs> all right, so uh, let's go over the American League. Like I said, for 1990 this week, we'll start out um, in the AL East. Obviously, there's no Central, and then we'll do the AL West. I know you guys like to start with the worst team in each division when you do uh, when you do these kind of shows. So you're our guests, so we'll we'll continue that format, and we'll start with the cellar dwellers of the AL East, which I love when I get to say the cellar dwellers of the AL East, the New York Yankees. So uh, why don't we uh, let, let's go through some of the statistical leaders of the New York Yankees. Yeah, so um, I'm going to do the American League East, and like you said, we're going to start with the Yankees. Their record was 67 and 95. It's kind of jarring to see them in last place, but uh, if you think back to the 80s, really more so, um, the Red Sox and the Yankees didn't win the East every year. It was uh, a lot of Tigers and Blue Jays and other teams. So they were there this year in the in the bottom um and uh their their best position players were jesse barfield and roberto kelly so jesse barfield had a 5.2 baseball reference war a 246 359 456 triple slash with 25 home runs and 78 rbis and roberto kelly had 5.5 baseball reference war he was their center fielder there was no other yankee that had more than two war um, and I, I, I think that's all players and not just position players, like yep. their entire roster. I don't think it's, it's that puzzling to see why they were bad when, when I read that, that kind of stuff off because there was no, I mean, Mattingly was on the team, but he wasn't Mattingly that year. That was the year that Kevin Moss had the Kevin Moss season. He came up with 20 home runs and 71, 21 home runs in 79 games and had a 150 OPS plus. And their best pitcher was Tim Leary who had a 1.7 baseball reference war and went nine and 19 talking about wins and losses. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's not good from what I understand with my little knowledge of baseball. That's not yeah. good. Yeah. None of that is, is good. I mean, at, at best his war and ERA are average, but the win loss record certainly not good. They had one hall of famer, which was Dave Winfield, at least in the baseball hall of fame. Deion Sanders was on the 1990 Yankees. He's, of, of course, in the Football Hall of Fame. He's in Canton, as I like to say. And, uh, you know, Steve Balboni is not officially in the Baseball Hall of Fame, <laughs> but uh, he's Hall of Fame adjacent. He's in the BBBA 
Hall oh, of Fame. Oh, for sure. So what do y'all remember about the Yankees of 1990? Well, I, uh, I like it that you uh, brought up Roberto Kelly because I think we've kind of, we mentioned him maybe once or twice, but he was a solid, solid baseball player. I think he's been on that coaching staff for a long time in New York. Is, is he's like the first or third base coach? He might still be. Hmm. He's been there for a while. I remember Kevin Moss. I was a little upset because he uh, he took over the uh, number 24 just a year after Ricky Henderson was traded away from New York. They were already giving his jersey number away. We mentioned last week, uh, we mentioned the number of no hitters that were thrown in 1990. I think I believe the number was seven. And it could have been eight because, uh, of course, Andy Hawkins threw that that no hit game where he lost four to nothing or four to one. I forget what the score was, but gave up four unearned runs, but no hit the Chicago White Sox. So no credit for that. Yeah, just not a good team at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Um, and right above them was the Milwaukee Brewers, who were in the American League at that time, of course, who finished 74 and 88. Paul Molitor was probably their best position player at the time. He had 3.2 baseball reference for. I don't remember him being a second baseman, but he was primarily a second baseman that year. It was one of the few seasons later in his career that he did that. Early in his career he was, and of course he became a third base and then DH. Um, not a not a an outstanding Molitor season. He only hit 285, 343, 464. Um, but still solid value. Gary Sheffield gave him also 3.2 war, and Rob Deere had 27 home runs. On the pitching side, their best pitcher, according to baseball reference war, was Ron Robinson, who I believe was, is it Big Red? I'm sure his nickname was something like that. I, I get him mixed up with Don Robinson, the caveman, but definitely not. Ron Robinson, I'm pretty sure he had like a perm haircut that was, you know, he was redhead. <laughs> yeah. So he had a three Looked like a, a poor man's Bryn Smith. Yes. Broke man's Bryn Smith. <laughs> um, 3.3 baseball reference war and a 12 and five record and a 2.91 ERA. He was much better after he was traded from the Reds. Seemed like a better fit to have him on the Reds, but he was traded by the Reds with Bob stripes, zebra um, and the the Brewers sent back Billy Bates and Glenn Braggs. Oh. Yeah, big big name trade. Bill Sebra. What, you, you gave us a nickname? Yeah, I made or that is up. that a, yeah. something that you've... Okay, because I know he's he's popped up in Wax Packs Heroes, and Mark and I will both go, I don't even remember that name. <laughs> 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 I thought you were going to have some insight for us on Bill Sebra. No, just because his name sounds like Zebra. Um, but ah, yeah, that's and really bad we'll, joke. We'll take it. Um, they had two Hall of Famers, Paul Molitor, Robin Yount. Although Gary Sheffield and Dave Parker, you know, could could have a case there as well. Yeah, I think they both kind of got strikes against them. Dave Parker, the the Pittsburgh, you know, drug trials being involved in that, and then Sheffield is been he's kind of loosely associated with steroids. So I, I think it's going to be a tough haul for both of them. I think Parker might get in before Sheffield does. Yeah, so many cool um, baseball cards and also pictures of Dave Parker out there. Oh, you know it. Like super yeah. cool ones. And his uh, nineteen his 1991 upper deck card 
he's playing with the angels, I believe, but he's holding a sledgehammer like on the own deck circle. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. And then there's the pictures when he had, I think he was hit in the face with a pitch or something. And so he wore a hockey, you know, old school, like Jason from Friday the 13th hockey mask when he was on the pirates and half of it was black and half of it was gold. And I loved when he was on the A's. I think he was on the A's in, in 90. Yeah, he was. Cause he was on the world series team and he would swing that sledgehammer in the on deck circle. And I loved it. So Mark, I don't know if you remember this. I, I don't think you would have been working there yet. But there is a uh, there was a brawl between the Brewers and the Mariners that took place in the Kingdom this year. For research sake, I watched it all twice. It is twenty minutes long, and it's one of those wow. it, it's one of those fights that started, and you know it was a legit you know fight to start with, and then everybody separated, and then it picked up again, like seriously picked up again they separated then they picked up again behind home plate they separated they started going their own ways it ended up down in the visitors dug or in the visitors bullpen which was still in play down the right field line it was a legit 20 minute fight tom treblehorn the manager of the of the brewers was bloodied at the end of it and his jersey was ripped up like it, it was a nasty fight it wasn't one of those where everybody just ran out and hugged someone from the other team and stood and looked at, to see what was going on then. No, it was it was definitely not. At, at one point, though, you know, during a fight, if you're not really involved in it, and especially if you you know know people on the other team and whatever, you kind of just go and you you kind of grab each other. Just you know, you yeah. you gotta you gotta leave the dugout. You gotta be out there, but you don't really want to get into the pile. At one point, Randy Johnson. Edgar Martinez and Robin Yount are all just holding each other. <laughs> but but Randy at one point did get into this fight. But at, at one point, there's three future Hall of Famers just kind of holding hands, trying to stay out of the way, which I thought was pretty cool. I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of a Randy Johnson left hook. I'll tell you that. No. Um, the, only, the biggest fight I've ever seen happen a few years later was the Mariners again against the Orioles. I was there. It lasted about 30, 35 minutes. And I remember seeing, and it, it, it would stop and start and stop and start, but Cal Ripken and King Griffey Jr., they stood next to one of the dugouts chatting with each other the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of those those unwritten rules is that, you know, you've got to leave the dugout. You can't just stand out there with your hands on your hips. But the one rule I, I have heard is that if you are just kind of holding a friend or somebody from the other team is don't laugh. But <laughs> I guess if you're those two, you can do whatever you want. Well, that's a nice transition to the next thing we're going to talk about, which is the Baltimore Orioles, who were right above the Brewers. I guess that puts them in fifth place. They were 76 and 85. And Cal Ripken was their best position player. No surprise there. I think Cal Ripken is pretty underrated, which is a crazy statement to make because of how famous he is for the streak and all that. But like he was really, really good. He had high war totals, you know, and I think, I think maybe the, the reason that he's not appreciated is as people don't realize how good of a defender he was. Like he was a giant shortstop, Mm -hmm. but was really good at it anyway. And had 7.5 baseball reference war that year. We call ourselves baseball beyond batting average. He's a 
perfect example of that he hit 250 that year so you know back in 1990 you probably looked at that season and thought eh, a little bit of a down year for Cal Ripken but you know if you're if you're a shortstop with 21 home runs and 84 RBIs and 3.4 defensive war which led the league man that's uh that's like MVP level right there his brother Bill Ripken one year removed from having his bat vandalized had his only good major league season. <laughs> he had a 4.1 baseball reference war. He slashed 291, 342, 387, and he also led the league in sacrifice bunts with 17. A Jay Bellion type total. Randy Milligan. Can we can we get a little Randy Milligan appreciation here? He was an on-base machine for a few years. That year, he was good for 4.2 war. He also hit 20 home runs. He had an, a 408 on base percentage. 408. Um, former number one pick of the New York Mets. Did not know that yeah. one. Mark's uh, lamenting <laughs> the one that got away there. <laughs> and their best pe- best pitcher was Ben McDonald. The uh, Just coming off the, the number one pick, was he number one overall? I think he was, wasn't he? Yeah. I know Mark... Uh, Mark knows quite a bit about uh, Ben McDonald and his uh, off-the-field habits. Yes. Let's see, yeah, first first overall pick in the 89 draft. Okay, so yeah, this was one year later. Not a lot of numbers here, 8 and 5. So he didn't pitch a full season, um, but he was good for 3.3 war with a 2.43 ERA. Their Hall of Famer was Cal Ripken, although Kurt Schilling was on that team, and he's knocking on the door. And uh, Ron Kittle... Not going to make it into the official Baseball Hall of Fame, but again, he's in the BBBA Hall of Fame for sure. Big Ben, uh, not only the number one pick, he was the only pick that year to have the uh, hobby of alligator wrestling. Once he actually signed with Baltimore, though, they didn't want him to wrestle alligators anymore. No word ever on if he did it behind their backs. <laughs> Outlandish that they wouldn't allow that. Yeah, do you think they would have let him? He was a righty, so you think they would have let him wrestle with his left arm something like that also mentioned that a member of this team sam horn who uh is uh immortalized with his own uh single game stat of striking out four times is it four or five times to to earn the horn oh i didn't know that there's the golden sombrero which is three and then i i don't know is is the horn four or five strikeouts is he also the reason they call it around the horn when you throw the ball around the infield? <laughs> Definitely. The platinum sombrero is five. Oh, a horn refers to a player striking out six times in one game. So we were completely underselling it. Uh, the term was coined by pitcher Mike Flanagan after teammate Sam Horn accomplished the feat in an extra inning game in 1991. Man. Six strikeouts in one game and uh, you have earned yourself a horn. Never knew that one. All right. Next up, Cleveland, 77 and 85. Brooke Jacoby, who was uh, one of the surprise stars of our 87 episode, he was still still around and producing in 1990. He had a 3.6 war. He only hit 14 home runs that year. Candy Maldonado, one of their two candies that year, had a 3.4 with 22 homers and 95 RBIs. I said the other candy because their pitchers included Tom Candiotti, who had a 2.8 baseball reference war with a 3.85 ERA. 
and Bud Black, who had a 3.3 baseball reference war with a 3.53 ERA. Actually, if you look at Fangraph's war, their best pitcher was Greg, the great rock and roll Swindell, who my son the other day, who's eight, was looking at his oversized baseball card collection. He came across a Greg Greg Swindell card, and I thought this was funny. He said, if his name wasn't on there, how would you know this wasn't Roger Clemens? (laughs) (laughs) Because they look so much alike. I was like, well, I just, they kind of look different. No Hall of Famers on the Indians, although Keith Hernandez, little known, little remembered fact, was on that team. And um, I didn't remember that Ken Phelps played for Cleveland. 61 at bats, no home runs. You may be wondering why we're talking about Ken Phelps, but uh, he's another BBBA fan. (laughs) I mean, if if Ken Phelps doesn't hit a home run, did he really play? Isn't that the old saying? That's a good point. (laughs) The old saying. My random Tom Candiotti fact, he played, uh, had a cameo as, of course, Tom Candiotti was a knuckleball pitcher. He had a cameo as Hoyt Wilhelm, another knuckleball pitcher in Billy Crystal's 61 film. That's a good movie. I like like that one a lot. Are we ready to move on to the, what is this, second place team? Third third place team. That would be the Detroit Tigers, 79 and 83. Cecil Fielder. So this was the Cecil Fielder season. He came over from Japan. He's not Japanese, but he had been playing in Japan before this. Just took the world by storm. I mean, this was before guys hit 50 home runs on a regular basis. I mean, it had been it had been a decade since someone had hit 50, and he hit 51. He had 6.5 baseball reference war. Hit 277, 377, and led the league with a 592 slugging. He led the league with those 51 home runs and 132 RBIs. He also led the league with 182 strikeouts. And he is the namesake of the Cecil Fielder Award for this season on our podcast, if you've, if you've ever heard one of our award shows. Alan Trammell was just as valuable with a 6.7 baseball reference war, 304, 377, 449, triple slash with 14 home runs and 89 RBIs. So he he came about his value a different way than Cecil did, but uh, just as valuable. And Jack Morris was not their best pitcher. Jack Morris was uh, not good that year. He had a .7 war. It was 2.9 according to Fangraphs, but um, he had a 4.51 ERA in 249 innings pitched. Their best pitchers... Check out these names. Mike Henneman, Jerry Don Gleaton, Ed Nunez, and Paul Gibson. Those relievers. Household names. Yeah. That's Jerry Don Gleaton, not Joe Don Baker. Right. Jerry Jerry <laughs> Don Gleaton. Yeah. So that's not a good sign when your best pitchers are the relievers. Well, Walt Terrell and Steve Searcy in the starting rotation, not exactly household names no. either. So they have two Hall of Famers, Alan Trammell and Jack Morris. And uh, <laughs> should be, should be two, it should be two because it should be Alan Trammell and Lou Whitaker. That's right. Yep, big, big season for Cecil, but spoiler alert, came in second in the MVP. That's right. Just, just throwing it out there. <laughs> Side note here real quick, um, Mike Heath was the catcher that year, and of course Mike Heath 
And an important role is the guy that taught me how to play spades. Hmm. Saudi chair. Former athletic, Mike Keith, which is how you. (laughs) That's right. So Cecil Fielder previously played for the Toronto Blue Jays, who finished in second place that year in the American League East. They finished 86 and 76. The reason they didn't need Cecil Fielder is because they had a guy named Fred McGriff. McGriff was their best player that year with a 5.2 war. He triple slashed 300, 400, 530. So I was really hoping he'd do 300, 400, 500, but he, a little, little too much slugging there. 35 homers, 88 RBIs. Kelly Gruber. Kelly Gruber had uh, his best season of his career with 31 home runs. He was an all-star, a silver slugger, got a gold glove, and finished fourth in the MVP voting and had 4.2 war. Second best player on his team. Or third best. Third. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Steve was uh, the best pitcher, and he had the highest war with 5.9. He did go 18-6, and six, so traditional stats liked him too. 2.93 ERA and a 140 ERA+. plus. No Hall of Famers on this Blue Jays team, but two guys who could, maybe should get in, Fred McGriff and Dave Steeb. I would definitely say Steve. I think I think McGriff's probably in that that tweener category, that Harold Baines category. I mean, Dave Steeb was for a decade one of the most dominant pitchers in the game. I thought I I would and consistent, very consistent. Yeah, poor man's Nolan Ryan. Sure. <laughs> All right. Anything else about the Blue Jays? Uh, actually, that year was John Olerud's first full season. And he finished uh, fourth in the Rookie of the Year voting. I'd just like to give a shout out. John Olerud, graduate of Washington State University. Go Cougs. And yet he's still successful. And he's featured in a famous Ricky Henderson story. A, f- a, false, right. a false Ricky Henderson story, but a, a legendary story. Absolutely. <laughs> Man, Olerud, when he first came up, was, I mean, he was a scorching hot prospect. And actually, he had a great career. I mean, he delivered. Oh, yeah. He did. He did. He's arguably, he, he's in the running for greatest first baseman in Mets history with Keith Hernandez. Oh, yeah. It's, it's close. Yeah. Um, first place that year was the Boston Red Sox. So they, you know, we talked about how the Red Sox and Yankees didn't finish first every year. Or they did this year. Um, they finished 88 and 74, so they weren't dominant by any means. And they had... They had the usual cast of characters, but uh, Ellis Burks led the team in war at 3.3, not a super high number, but 296, 349, 486, 21 home runs. I loved Ellis Burks. I don't know why. When he first came up, I just thought he was so cool. Wade Boggs had a little bit of a down year with a 302 batting average and a 386 on base percentage. Mike Greenwell led the league in championship WPA, our new favorite stat. Was six point six. Clemens was out of this world in nineteen ninety. Just crazy good. Ten point four baseball reference war. Ten point four. He had a one point nine three ERA, which gave him a two hundred and eleven ERA plus. So he's like a hundred and eleven percent better than the average. <laughs> He had a 15.3 championship WPA, which is a lot. Except for in the uh, in the bottom of the second inning in game three of the ALCS. Ooh. 
See, I think that number doesn't include the postseason. I think it's just the regular season. They do they do keep track of uh, championship WPA in the postseason. It'll be interesting to see them combined. Um, but I'm assuming he had some kind of implosion in that game. Ah, with just an ejection. No, no big deal. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, he had a 0.97 ERA after the All Star break, um, so that was pretty good run there. Um, Mike Boddicker was good. He had a 5.9 WAR and 17 wins, and they have two Hall of Famers. One you probably think of right away, Wade Boggs. The other one is Lee Smith. And then in the maybe should be in there category, I mean, Roger Clemens. And then we like to think Dwight Evans should be in the Hall of Fame for sure. Dewey was very underrated. Solid ball player all around. I agree. So I'm I'm looking, I'm on baseball reference on the 1990 Red Sox page. And you know how they have like the top 10 I think it's the top 10 guys in war, their headshots across the screen. Out of the 10, eight of them have mustaches. Just (laughs) another something we track here. But uh, the Greg Swindell lookalike is in the first place with no mustache, though. Yeah. So you think that's the reason he didn't get those Cy Young votes? Probably. People probably confused him with Greg Swindell and didn't vote for him. So that's probably, (laughs) probably why. Uh, I've got a couple of things Red Sox related. One is more White Sox related, but I've got a whole bunch of things about the White Sox. So I'm going to stick this one in the Red Sox because they were playing the Red Sox. Do you guys remember uh, Mr. Steve Lyons, first of all, committing a sin by sliding headfirst into into first base, trying to beat out an infield single? And then uh, this happened. There's the bunt. That could be trouble as Petrie. No, Stevie dives in and beats it. Good effort by Steve Lyons. And that'll be a base hit right there. Good job. I'll tell you one thing, not a bad defensive play either by the Tigers. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. He's going to get the dirt out, and all of a sudden he unbuckled his pants and they fell down. What is with Tom Pachorek making weird noises in the background there? That's he was just going, huh? I don't know what's going on, but that of course, Steve Lyons dropping his pants at first base. Kind of one of those things you still see on on bloopers today in between innings of a game. Yeah, psycho. Steve Lyons a little known secret, his mother was very proud because he did have on clean underwear. <laughs> <laughs> he had on those sliding pants. Uh, That's right. And and then, of course, I mentioned it earlier, earlier, like two minutes ago, Roger Clemens getting ejected. ALCS, game two, or game three, the Red Sox were already down two to nothing. Roger Clemens, who the A's always owned in the postseason anyway, bottom of the second inning, he walked Willie Randolph and uh, just started yelling, from the dugout or from the top of the mound, staring right in at Jerry Cooney. I'm sorry, Terry, Jerry Cooney, the boxer, uh, Terry Cooney, the home plate umpire. Clemens said that he was just yelling at himself, but he's just staring like daggers right at Cooney and just swearing. And he gets tossed right there. That was that really spelled the end of <laughs> the playoffs for the Red Sox. But do you do you remember Clemens? He was wearing eye black in this game. As the starting pitcher. No. 
I don't I don't remember seeing a, a, another starting pitcher ever wearing eye black. No. I feel like Nolan Ryan did it, didn't he? I don't think I don't mm. I don't remember that. I don't No, I'm not that I recall. That like seems like something picture. Nolan Ryan would make fun of. <laughs> That's all I got for for the East. Me too. So let's let's uh let's head over to the American League best. I mean West where uh, I'm very excited to get to the uh, to the first place team, but we'll start from the bottom. And I believe, Mark, you're gonna you're gonna walk us through the West. Yeah, I just I just did a little image search, and there's multiple images with Nolan Ryan with eye black on. Just so you know. Really, I gotta check this out now. All right, all right. So we're gonna start at the bottom of the West. The Minnesota Twins were 74 and 88. Uh, their best position player was Greg Gagne, 3.2 Baseball Reference WAR. He slashed 235, 280, 361, 280 on base percentage. Most of his war came from defensive war. He had 2.9 defensive war. So if you want some offense from your best Twins player, you can have Kirby Puckett. He only had 2.8 best baseball reference war, but he slashed 298, 365, 446, which is definitely more of a best player on the team uh, kind of stats. Ken Herbeck did have 22 home runs. Their best pitcher, they had three that were about the same. Pretty good, but not great. Mark Guthrie, Scott Erickson, Kevin Tappany all had between 2.5 and 2.8 baseball reference war. Uh, they did have one Hall of Famer, the aforementioned offensive-minded Kirby Puckett. Gary Gaetti, who was actually a very solid ball player all the way around, he used to camp on that third baseline, man. He would just park there. And he he actually turned him and the twins turned two triple plays in the same game. Wow. Third base, one there, two there, and a triple play. They go, and Gladdy has one. They got two, and they've got another triple play. Mercy me, Gerald. Mercy me. Bonus Mel Allen there at the end. <laughs> All right, if any of you can tell me the team that Gary Gaetti was playing for when he hit his career-high 35 home runs, you win a BBBA uh, trophy. Was it the Angels? Nope. That's the only other team I know he played for. Played for the Royals? I'm going to I'm gonna give that to Mark. It was the Royals. Yeah. Speaking of the Royals, they were 75 and 86. Of course, George Brett uh, was there. Um, offensive hero that year, 4.1 baseball reference for. He led the league at 329, fairly uh, low uh, league leader for that time. 387 on base, 515 slugging. Also led the league with 45 doubles. Everybody loves Bo Jackson. 1990 was easily Bo Jack- Jackson's best baseball season. 3.5 baseball reference for, 28 home runs. Uh, Kevin Apier. Solid season, as usual for him. 5.3 baseball reference for He was only 12-8, and eight, but had a 2.76 ERA. I thought Kevin Apier was fairly underrated. He is 78th all-time in Jaws. Fellow wow. Royal Brett Saberhagen is 70th. So this team had two top 100 pitchers of all time, if you just look at Jaws. Hall of Famer, only one, George Brett. So... I got something really interesting about George Brett. One, I was a little upset. Ricky came in second in the batting title that year, and George Brett played sparingly in the last week. But George Brett, by winning that title, became the only player to win a batting title in three different decades. Nice. Which 
obviously nobody else has done. So Brett won in, in, in 1976, in 1980, and then 1990. Next up is the Seattle Mariners, 77 and 85. Edgar Martinez, offensive leader, 5.6 baseball reference war, 302, 397, 515. That's what he was known for. Ken Griffey Jr., a young Ken Griffey Jr., 5.2 baseball reference war, 22 home runs, 80 RBIs. Their best pitcher was Eric Hansen. By easily his best season, he had a 5.0 baseball reference war, went 18 and 9 with a 3.24 ERA. Uh, their Hall of Famers include Edgar Jr., Unit, and not a Hall of Famer, and he won't be this time either, but Omar Vizquel was on that team. Griffey Jr., 20 years old that year. He had uh, played pretty much a full season in 89, came out and he hit 300 that season, made the all-star team for the first time, which led to a consecutive 11 elections to the all-star team. A couple of other big Griffey moments, August 31st, uh, both uh, senior and junior, senior coming over after having been released from the Reds. They appeared in the lineup for the first time together against the Royals. They both singled in the uh, in the first inning. They were batting second and third. Tim Raines and Rock Jr. eventually became the the next father-son combo in a lineup in 2001 for the Orioles. Of course, probably the signature moment of the Griffies on September 14th versus the Angels, Kirk McCaskill gave up back-to-back shots from both senior and then junior. Well hit the center field. Devon White going back. Gone! A two-run home run. And he can still hit anybody's fastball. <laughs> An instantaneous 2 to nothing Seattle lead. And he hits one well to left center field. Dante Bichette. Back-to-back! We've discussed before records and events that'll never be repeated. That uh, that one's way up on my list. Yeah, that one's a tough one. I think Mark, it was the next year. Was it '91 with Dave Valley, where the uh, the bar across the street from the Kingdom was offering beers for for <laughs> Valley's batting average? Uh, was that in '90? Uh, no, I, I think, think it, you, I think you're I right. I think it was '91. It was, uh, uh, 1990. It was, uh, he oh, ended okay. up hitting 214. He ended up with a 194 in 91. So that might have been that that promotion that Dave Valley really appreciated. <laughs> cheap well drinks. It was cheap well drinks. So the Griffies hit those home runs off the Angels, and they're next on our list here. They went 80 and 82. Uh, their best position player was Lance Parrish, the catcher. 4.5 baseball reference war, 268, 338, 451. 24 home runs, 70 RBI. And as far as uh, underrated players, if you look at career Jaws, he is the 26th rated catcher of all time using Jaws. Chuck Finley was their best pitcher. Really good season. 7.7 baseball reference war, 18 wins, 2.4 ERA. That was good for a 158 ERA+. Their Hall of Famers I have not mentioned yet because they are Dave Winfield and Burt Blylevin. Lance Parrish was the American League Gary Carter. I've said it before, and Mark scoffs, but it's true. My favorite player on that team is Brian Downing. 
Mm. Just because uh, this is a DH that would usually lead off. Look at that, a 374 on base for that year. For a 138, he led the team in OPS Plus with 138. No stolen base attempts. Your leadoff hitter doesn't try to steal a base all season. That's an interesting time. The next up is the Texas Rangers. First team to be over 500 in the American, in the, this division, 83 and 79. Uh, all of our favorites, one of our, all of our favorites, Julio Franco, had a great season. 6.8 baseball reference war, 296, 383, 401. He even sported a 1.8 defensive war that season. Nolan Ryan was their best pitcher. Just 3.5 baseball reference war, had 13 wins and a 3.44 ERA. They also had Mike Witt, who was good for 3.2 baseball reference war, that's, a slightly that's better Witt. ERA at three. Oh, that's Bobby Witt. Sorry about that. Bobby Witt, father of young phenom Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, but Bobby Witt had 17 wins that season. And so it's another year where arguably Nolan Ryan was a superior pitcher, but he had less wins, and that happened a whole lot in Nolan Ryan's career. It sure did. He was a hard luck pitcher. A lot of the time we would pitch great. He would allow one or two runs and he would still get beat. That was with a lot with Houston and, and even with Texas. Mark, you, you just ran down the team, so you might know this, but I would have never guessed who was the Rangers closer in 1990? Is it Jeff Russell? Nope. That, oh, you're Tom thinking Hankey? of a closer there. It was, it was Kenny Rogers was closing for the oh, Rangers. Wow. The gambler. Yeah. Known starting pitcher, but at this point, at age 25, uh, racked up 15 saves. Neftali yeah. Feliz? Should I stop guessing? <laughs> <laughs> Generally on our show, when, when you give the answer, you can stop Goose guessing. Gossage. You're a guest, so I'm not going to say anything. So they did have a couple of Hall of Famers. Harold Baines was on this team, and so was Nolan Ryan. Um, they also have Rafael Palmero, who's considered a... Um, steroid guy who was the ultimate stat compiler if you like those counting stats and they also have kevin brown i've, I've talked about jaws a lot uh, kevin brown is pretty underrated too he's the he's 50th all time on the starting on the pitcher list for jaws not bad if you don't look at adjusted stats like you know war and era plus and all that kevin brown has almost the exact same career as kurt schilling like their wins, losses, ERA, all that stuff. It's uncanny how similar they are. What does Kevin Brown's social media account look like? Is it um, exactly the same as pretty, Kurt Schilling? Pretty hectic? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> same dude. So, uh, 1990, uh, Nolan Ryan threw his sixth, count him, six, no-hitter. Um, June 11th against, who was he playing, Jeff? Do you remember? Uh, the best team in the league. That's right. It was, and they were the best team in the league. He had uh, quite a good game. <laughs> and there was only <laughs> thanks. Thanks for pointing that out. Talking yeah. about his no hitter, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad game. You gotta you gotta look into it though. You gotta dig a little bit. The only thing that happened was uh, towards the end there was a, a slow roller, and uh, Jeff Houston picked it up, threw him out. The, there wasn't a lot of really excruciating, painful moments. When he got this win, it was his 294th win, his 59th shutout. It was his 201st game with at least 10 strikeouts. He threw 130 pitches, including 93 fastballs, 86 for strikes. 
Um, it was definitely a dominant day. When, uh, uh, judging all seven of his no-hitters, this one was pretty dominant. Oh, I was I was going to say his sixth no-hitter. Surely that's the end of his no-hitters, right? But you've just... <laughs> <laughs> well, believe it or not, Jeff, he had one more in that magical arm of his. On a, it was on a very magical day when somebody else did something very important in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It was, uh, it was weird. It was the same day that uh, Ricky Henderson stole uh, a base to give him the all-time stolen base lead. Number 939. There you go. Right, we're not to those A's yet because the, in second place, the Chicago White Sox, 94 and 68, led by Carlton Fisk, 42 year old Carlton Fisk, had a 4.9 baseball reference war, slash 285, 378, 451, with 18 home runs. He did not make the All Star team that year. He did make it the next year at age 43. Greg Hibbard was your best pitcher, 3.5 baseball reference war, 14 wins with a 3.16 ERA. This was the year that they had the big relief performance by Bobby Figpen, 3.2 baseball reference war, and a gaudy 57 saves, 1.83 ERA, which was good for 211 ERA+. Carlton Fisk is a Hall of Famer. A very young Frank Thomas was on this team. Also a young Sammy Sosa and a not-so-young Ron Kittle, also on this team. He was traded for Phil Bradley this season. Ron Ma and Pa Kittle, I believe. <laughs> Wasn't this the year, so Thigpen set the record with 57 saves, which coming into the season, Eckersley had that record, I think from the year before. But I think like Doug Jones or somebody at one point during the season was the first to break the record, but then Thigpen down the, down the stretch ended up leading the league and thusly setting the record. But it was, this was back when, yeah, when you'd get 50 to 60 saves a year. <laughs> yeah, the, they also had a 22-year-old Robin Ventura in his first full season, and his seventh in Rookie of the Year voting. Another solid career. Some good young studs on that team. Yeah, this was a really good team. I mean, I, I remember, because I mean, I tell it every time we talk about this around this time that, you know, I talk about Jack McDowell hitting Steinbach in the head for like three years in a row. And the A's and the and the White Sox were usually battling it out for first place. So I knew this team very well. Uh, I've got a couple of uh, actually, as I mentioned earlier, Steve Lyons is on this team. I've got a couple of of stuff here. First, I want to talk about because it's still this is still ripples through the MLB today. July 11th was the very first ever turn back the clock day where teams wore throwback uniforms. Uh, I think just the White Sox did. But the idea was uh, the brainchild of a child. It was 15-year-old Ken Adams, who was the son of the VP of publicity for the team. Still one of the biggest draws in the MLB today are these turn back the clock bobbleheads and turn back the clock days are big draws. Card companies really loved it because every single White Sox card in 1991 was from this one game with the with the White Sox in their throwback uniforms. The only difference, they, they were the uniforms from the 1917 White Sox, and the only difference was uh, that these jerseys had actual numbers on them, which uh, that takes us back to our very first episode, 101 episodes ago, where we talked about jersey numbers because there weren't any in 1917. 
Ozzy Guillen, shortstop for the White Sox, really dug these uniforms. And this was his quote. He said, quote, I like these uniforms better than the ones we usually wear. Did you see the All-Star game? The White Sox uniforms were by far the ugliest ones there, end quote. <laughs> so another thing, this was brought to my attention by uh, Andy and Mark. The uh, the great jockstrap incident between, I, I mentioned that the A's and the White Sox did not particularly care for each other. There was a game, A's and White Sox tied in the bottom of the ninth, and Dave Henderson hits a two-run bomb to uh, to tie the game. Now, this was a game that Dave Stewart had started. He went nine innings. Bottom of the ninth, he goes into the clubhouse to ice his, his elbow. He thinks the game is over. He thinks he's done, at least. And Hendu hits this two-run bomb. That sends us to the 10th inning, where then Stu comes back out after he'd been icing his elbow and gives up a leadoff bomb to Dan Pasqua. So after the game, Stewart was not happy, called the White Sox second rate. He called Steve Lyons a borderline jerk who should be selling insurance. Then he took aim at Jack McDowell, who he said should be in AAA and said, quote, should get a pencil and take notes when somebody like me pitches. And then he said, with a few exceptions, the Chicago players couldn't hold my jock. Wow. A couple of responses to that was uh, Carlos Martinez, who was the first baseman at that point, since Frank Thomas wasn't the everyday first baseman. He said he could do it with one finger. Which leads me to ask, how heavy does he think a jockstrap is? <laughs> the biggest takeaway here, I think, was that uh, was it was Ron Kittle, I I believe, yep. that said, uh, "Yeah, I've got it, you know, hanging in my in my locker," and had a, a jockstrap with Dave Stewart's name and number on it. So <laughs> the animosity was jacked up. Uh, interesting to note that five days later, Dave Stewart's next start through a no-hitter versus the Blue Jays in the first part of that double no-header with Stewart and Fernando Valenzuela. I've got one more White Sox note here that I couldn't pass up. Jeff Torborg, managing the White Sox, won the American League Manager of the Year this year. His son, Dale Torborg, spent a couple of seasons in the low minors and then became a professional wrestler. He wrestled under the name of the MVP, not MVP, who is... A completely different wrestler. He also went as the demon where he was paired with the insane clown posse. So that's a thing. <laughs> Torborg then appeared with White Sox catcher AJ Pruszynski on TNA Impact Wrestling, which eventually led to an angle where Pruszynski was in one corner and David Eckstein of the Angels was in the other. You know, we had an Eckstein Star Wars connection a couple of shows ago. Torborg later went into coaching with the Expos when his dad was managing there, and he was a technical advisor on the movies Mr. Baseball, which is one of my favorite baseball movies, as well as A League of Their Own. You could not possibly want to know more about Dale Torborg than what I just told you. <laughs> uh, there's some good White Sox stories there. That's it for the well, American League West. All right, moving on to the position leaders. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one more team, Andy. Oh, that's right. You may have heard of Mississippi Oakland Athletics. They won 103 games that season. That's uh, nine more than the Chicago White Sox. Um, they had a pretty good best player. His name was Ricky Henderson. He had 9.9 .9 baseball reference war. 
He slashed 325, 439, 577. 439 he led the league, and 577 is pretty high even for Ricky there. He led the league with 119 runs. He led the league with 65 stolen bases and even uh, knocked 28 home runs that season. He did have some help in the home run department. Um, Mark McGuire hit 39. Jose Canseco hit 37. Dave Henderson hit 20 home runs that year. The good A's vibes did not end with the offense. They had some good pitching, too. Uh, their Their best pitcher was not Cy Young Award winner Bob Welch. 2.9 2.9 baseball reference war, 2.95 ERA. He had 67 wins that season, or maybe that's a slight exaggeration. Um, their best <laughs> pitcher was Dave Stewart. 5.2 baseball reference war. He only had a measly 22 wins, which was five behind Welch in reality. Uh, but he had a 2.56 ERA, um, and it was only third in the Cy Young voting. They had a couple of Hall of Famers, Ricky, Harold Baines played a little bit there, and Dennis Eckersley. Uh, Ken Phelps also had some time uh, with the A's that year as well. So <laughs> nice season by the A's all around. Jeff, I think you know a little bit about that this team, though. I do. I do. First, have you guys heard about the Ozzy Canseco, Jose Canseco conspiracy theory? No. There's only one of them? <laughs> well, no, there, there are definitely two of them. And this was the year that Ozzy made his debut in Oakland. And the conspiracy theory was that sometimes the A's would have Jose and Ozzy switch jerseys and have Ozzy pinch hit late in the game. But it would actually be Jose in order to get him more at bats. But Ozzy only hit 105 and 20 plate appearances. So if they actually did that, it, it didn't really work because he... Didn't really do much. Do you have Do you have audio of uh, Ozzy's home runs? No, a trick question. I, I don't believe there there were. Yeah, any. he didn't hit one. <laughs> <laughs> My other favorite little A's factoid was, uh, and we talked about this several shows ago, was about Bob Welch, of course the the Cy Young Award winner this year, whether he deserved it or not. the The Go Go song "Turn to You" actually written about Bob Welch by a former girlfriend and Go-Go member Charlotte Caffey, which I thought was pretty cool because the Go-Go's are pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Are we ready to talk about our position leaders and losers? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we're going to talk about each position and who the best were at that position, who the worst were at that position. For the starting pitchers, we're going to name a rotation. And a lot of these names we've already talked about. Roger Clemens was the best. Chuck Finley belongs on this list then we got mike boddicker another red sox pitcher dave steve we mentioned before and mark and i disagreed on one so he said kevin apier and he had solid stats we talked about before as always i replaced him with eric hansen from the mariners because according to fangraphs that now the thing the thing about fangraphs and baseball reference their war totals are a little bit different if you look at position players For the most part, they're about the same. For pitchers, though, they use different methodologies, and sometimes you can get some pretty big differences. For fan graphs, they rely on FIP, and for baseball references, more based on ERA. So you get a guy like Eric Hansen, who's a strikeout guy. He had a low FIP. He had a 2.74 FIP, 
and he had the second highest Fangraphs WAR at 6.6 behind Roger Clemens. So I stuck him on the on my rotation, and then we threw a six. I mean, you know, you can have a six man rotation nowadays. So Dave Stewart, you know, definitely belongs on there. Now, as far as who actually made the All Star team, it was Bob Welch, of course, Dave Steeb, Brett Saberhagen, Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, and Chuck Finley. So Randy Johnson was decent but Randy Johnson was not really Randy Johnson until like 1993 but he made the all-star team this year <laughs> the worst pitcher and and Mark J this is going to this is going to conjure up some bad memories for you from last episode <laughs> was uh your boy Frank Tanana and 29 <laughs> starts he had a 5.31 ERA and just a .1 baseball reference war so he pitched a lot and didn't produce a lot and he also ruined your role the stat that's right <laughs> sticking to nana daiquiri i'm sticking with tanana hammock <laughs> oh all right let's let's move on to the infield best catcher carlton fisk really good season age 42 uh worst catcher scott bradley he played 101 games, negative one baseball reference war. He had all his slash numbers in the twos, 223, 264, 275. And that's pretty bad when you play 101 games. The All-Stars that year were Alomar and Parrish. Sammy Alomar, I believe, won the rookie of the year. And uh, we've already talked about how good a season Lance Parrish had. At first base, Cecil Fielder. MVP runner-up, and uh, was your best. A lot of home runs there. And Don Mattingly, he's maybe not the worst, but he played a lot, and this was maybe the first year that he just wasn't Don Mattingly at all. We have an episode about Don Mattingly, by the, by the way. In this season, he was, had a negative .3 war, a two fifty six batting average, and a three oh eight slugging, three thirty five. I mean, excuse me, three oh eight on base and a three thirty five slugging. So as far as Magley goes, he was real, real bad. <laughs> All-stars that year were Mark McGuire and Filder. Magley's back immediately started to deteriorate as soon as Ricky left. So you're saying Ricky was holding together his he back? He literally was, yep. Uh, second base, Julio Franco, really good season. As far as worst goes, pretty much, I mean, maybe not the worst, but he played a lot. Frank White, negative 0.1 baseball reference war, 216. 253-307. So also not a good season at all from Frank White. Uh, All-stars that year were Julio Franco and Steve Sachs. All right, third base. Uh, best in the league was Edgar and worst. Uh, we did this with uh, the, the Braves last time, but the Yankees had a three-headed third base monster that was pretty bad. Jim Layritz, Randy Velarde, and Mike Blowers, here's Blow. Here's their here's their triple slashes. Blowers, 188, 255, 319. Layritz, 257, 331, 356. He was the best of the three. And Velarde, 210, 275, 319. So they played a lot of third base and then dabbled at other positions as a threesome and were not good at it. Uh, the All Stars were Boggs, Gruber, 
who we mentioned having a really good season, and uh, Brooke Jacoby. My wife and I just finished watching MacGruber tonight. Have y'all seen that movie? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yes. It's kind of amazing. All right, it's shortstop. Cal Ripken was your best shortstop. Worst shortstop, Luis Rivera. Negative .7 baseball reference war. He played 118 games, slash 225, 279, and 344. So as a shortstop, you might be thinking, well, he was there for his defense, right? Nope. Negative defensive war for Luis Rivera. <laughs> um, All-stars, Ripken, Guillen, and Trammell. <laughs> All right, let's let's head to the outfield. Yeah, so um, left field, uh, best left fielder that year. I'm going George Bell. Um, he was the All Star <laughs> backup to Ricky. Now Ricky was clearly the best, but George Bell did make the All Star team. And the worst left fielder, according to War, at least, was Jeffrey Leonard for your Mariners in his last season. He had a negative 1.7 WAR. With a 251, 305, 356 triple slash, all flaps were up that season, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Out. <laughs> Non-existent. Here's a, here's an, this was probably my, my biggest takeaway from this research that, that Mark did um, for the center fielders was um, the revelation that was Roberto Kelly. So Ken Griffey Jr. was good. 5.2 baseball reference war and a 0.5 defensive war. But Roberto Kelly actually had a higher war. Now, Griffey wasn't full on, you know, Griffey at this point. But still, Roberto Kelly had the highest war of center fielders in the American League at 5.5. Most of it coming, well, a lot of it coming from defense, 2.6 defensive war. And that 2.6 defensive war is interesting for Roberto Kelly because for the rest of his career, the next highest number he had was 0.2. And usually he was negative. So defensive stats kind of fluctuate a good bit from year to year. And um, you'll see things like this. You'll see a guy who's a, a bad defender just be in the right place at the right time or something for a whole year. There's, you know, it, it tends to regress over a larger sample than hitting. So that's definitely what happened. And the ESPY award for worst center fielder goes to ESPY. Cecil Espy, who pulled off the remarkable feat of having 82 plate appearances and not getting an extra base hit the entire season. So he didn't play that much, but, you know, noteworthy for his lack of extra bases. Yeah, it's just interesting because that means your batting average and your slugging percentage are the same, which right. is a rare yeah. feat. Yeah. The All-Stars that year were uh, Ken Griffey and poor man's Von Hayes' Kirby Puckett. <laughs> so um if, if if Puckett's your poor man Von Hayes, is he like eight for one? Yeah, I was trying to think of a nickname like or do you... two and a half for one or something, you know. You know <laughs> oh, you gotta go down. Yeah, that confused me. <laughs> if y'all don't know what we're talking about, you gotta listen to the BBBA podcast. <laughs> well it was, just a couple of episodes ago we we came to the we didn't know what that five for one even meant. Yeah. And we finally we put it out there, and we got quite a response of people uh, letting us know what it was about, which was great, because now we know. Right. If you think it's funny to talk about how Von Hayes was as good as Kirby Puckett, just listen to any one of our last six episodes, because it comes up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Right field. Another athletic. Jose Canseco. 
was the best. But there are others that we need to talk about, namely Junior Felix Jose, the two-headed monster. Junior Felix played for Toronto and, and Felix Jose played for Oakland. Why am I even talking about them? Well, you know, I think y'all have talked about this on your show, but they, they're one of those name strings where you can, uh, King Griffey mm-hmm. Jr., Felix Jose Canseco or whatever. But they were next to each other in, in Fangraph's war. They were almost the same value, 1.6, 1.7. And they should have had one of those Fleer cards. Steve and Carlton, Carlton and Fisk. Like, how did they miss that? I think they they really missed out. I mean, on two below-average players, I just I don't understand. They were above average. Actually, they're pretty much right at average with those wars. But the so we like to talk about the the multiple players at one position. The outfielders for the Twins. So this is ninety. The Twins were in last place. The next year, the Twins won the World Series. Their outfielders were terrible this year. Kirby was good, but then they had John Moses at negative one WAR. They had Dan Gladden with a negative 1.1. They had Gene Larkin, who DH'd, but also played in the outfield at negative one. And then, was it Carmen Castillo or Carmelo Castillo? Had a negative two war, who also played DH, but played in the outfield. So, man, that's just a lot of suck out there in the outfield for the Twins. (laughs) The All-Stars were um, Conseco and Dave Parker who was a brewer that year. He was only brewers. He was athletics the year before. Ah, and, I thought um, he was on the World Series team. Yeah, yeah, and he was a DH. But they played in a National League park, I believe, so the All-Star game. Yeah, we talked about it being in Chicago, right? Yep, and, yep, and yeah. the home run derby. So there was yep. no DH, so Parker had to play in the field. Last but not least, designated hitter. Alvin Davis was the best among players who were primarily designated hitters. He had a 2.9 war. And this was his last good season. He fell off a cliff the next season, not literally, but uh, statistically, 283, 387, 429, and then was just never good again. And then the Yankees had a couple of bad DHs. One was bad at baseball, 192, 291, 406. Oh, that's Steve Balboni. And then <laughs> one was um, bad at life, and that's Mel Hall, a scumbag. <laughs> oh yeah hey they combined for 29 home runs though all is forgiven then well let's look uh let's look at the awards that were given out this year and see how they line up with uh, especially how you guys how you guys think the the writers did first with the mvp of the american league of course none other than ricky henderson we've mentioned cecil fielder was a close second yeah, really close. 14 to 10 in first place votes. I mean, that's uh, too close for comfort, I think. I mean, Fielder was the sexy pick, but man, oh man, Ricky had a just a crazy good season. You talked earlier about the on-base percentage, but then attached that with the slugging he had that year. I mean, tons of value for Ricky. Definitely deserved his MVP. All right, so we know that... Pretty much, I think all all four of us are in agreement that Bob Welch probably shouldn't have won the Cy Young. Obviously, 27 games in the win column is what caught everybody's eye. The highest total since Denny McLean. Uh, probably not the best pitcher in the American League. No, as we said before, not the best pitcher on his team. 
Um, that was Dave Stewart, <laughs> but Dave Stewart uh, was third in in uh, Cy Young because in second was Roger Clemens. If you remember, Roger Clemens had a crazy good season this year as well. Over 10 baseball reference war, sub-2 ERA. So, yeah, it should have been Roger Clemens by a lot. Okay, and then uh, finally, Rookie of the Year. The Alomar family racks up another trophy, Sandy Alomar. And uh, thoughts on uh, on the Cleveland catcher? I mean, as far as hitters goes, Alomar probably deserved it, but Kevin Apier had a really good season. I know that Andy ripped him off my best rotation in the league, but uh, Apier was a rookie that year. A solid pitcher for his career, but over five baseball reference war, he should have been the rookie of the year over Sandy Alomar, I think. I am ambivalent on the subject. On our podcast, we talk about the rookie of the year, and I say, who cares? It doesn't matter if you're good your first season. It doesn't mean anything about the rest of your career. I, I agree with that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. I got a couple of things just uh, as we round this out before we get to, uh, to Wax Packs Heroes. Just a couple of notes on the season. First of all, I want to talk defense. Just straight up defense. A couple of things that happened this year. A couple of plays that you still see today. Similar to the Steve Lyons pulling his pants down, things that you still uh, see today. This is somebody that we talked about earlier, and and you mentioned had his best season as a baseball player, Bo Jackson. And not talent. Orsalak licks that one to left center field. Bo won the charge. Bo is there. Yo, come on that wall. <laughs> Bo, get up that wall. Bo knows exactly what he's doing. Spider-Man. <laughs> I love it. They show it on the big screen. Listen to the crowd. So that was Bo Jackson playing center field in Baltimore at Old Memorial Stadium, where he makes a nice running catch out near the track and then just keeps running up the wall casually and then flips the ball to uh, to the left fielder as he comes down. One of those great, great plays. Yeah, we didn't see unnecessary running like that um, until Derek Jeter ran halfway across the field to jump into the stands. I know you're a fan of that play. He caught it in fair territory. Uh, if he was in Oakland, he still would have reached the stands. Another Bo Jackson play. This one ties in, Mark, with your favorite player and is one of those great shots. We we talked about Nolan Ryan earlier, and, and yeah, there are plenty of shots of, of Nolan Ryan wearing eye black. It was a thing, apparently, when he was with the Angels. But if you remember, there's a very famous picture that Nolan seems to sign a lot of Nolan on the mound pitching, and his he's got a bloody nose and blood all over his jersey. That happened this year where he fielded a comebacker off the bat of Bo Jackson with his face and then picked it up and threw Jackson out at first, continued to pitch despite the fact that he was leaking from the nose, which is another one of those just iconic plays, that one that you'll see today. And uh, we also mentioned uh, Ken Griffey Jr. earlier a couple of times. He also made one of those defensive plays that we still see today. High ball into deep left center field. Griffey going back to the 1-8 track. Leaps high in the air. And he's got it! An incredible catch by the kid! He takes away a home run from 
Jesse Barfield climbing the wall in left center field in Death Valley here at Yankee Stadium. Look at Barfield. He's stunned. He's standing there with his hands on his head. I don't believe it. Holy kidding me? So that was it uh, at Yankee Stadium where Griffey just, he went, he jumped on the wall and got up so high. And that, that was just an incredible catch. And uh, Rick Riz, I don't know who his partner was there, but stepped all over him on the call on Mariners Radio. That just another one of those Ken Griffey Jr. moments that everybody remembers. Um, just some, some really good defense this year. A couple of, you know, these plays are, are iconic. And I definitely wanted to remember those because those are some some great ones. Two other things I wanted to mention. This was the last season at Old Comiskey Park in in Chicago before they moved over to the bland and uh, kind of utilitarian new Comiskey Park, which is now, I think, guaranteed rate field. Uh, The scoreboard there, obviously, a highlight. The dungeons uh, was what they called the bullpens. They were underground out there in uh, left and right field. And then uh, a new stadium, Tropicana Field, opened this year, despite the fact there was nobody there to, to play in it that did did open in 1990 before they had a baseball team. <laughs> All right. Well, then uh, last week, if uh, if you listened and if you are familiar with the Baseball Beyond Batting Average podcast, you know that we played their episode ending game called Roll the Stat, where I triumphantly in a bottom of the ninth situation came up and, and came through in the clutch. Uh, I'm waiting for the check to clear. Uh, for that, but uh, here on this show, we play a game with guests that we like to call Wax Packs Heroes. Gotta pull a wax pack hero. Stars in his eyes. Hero. On the podcast tonight. All right, so this is very exciting. We have got a very special pack of baseball cards to open here today. We've been reviewing for the past two weeks, the 1990 season. So we thought, let's open a pack of 1990 cards. And I just happen to have a pack of 1990 upper deck cards. Ooh. This is, yeah, you know, it's not 89, which is obviously the set, but this is still great looking cards. And if we look at the uh, 1992 Beckett price guide that we're going to be using to score this there are some big money cards here that could easily get you onto our leaderboard right now uh, looking at our guest leaderboard former first baseman for the uh, tampa bay rays richie schaefer still holds the lead with a dollar 35 and brad belukjan who has been uh, on both of our podcasts is uh, in second place with a dollar and eight so if you break a dollar you're automatically in rarefied air uh, a couple of rules that we use for this as we open this up. As I said, we'll score it using a 1992 Beckett. If you are sporting a mustache, you're going to get an extra cent. If you are sporting rail stirrups, you're going to get an extra cent as well. If you're wearing the two-in-ones, which are a distinct possibility in this pack, we're going to minus a cent. And if you are a Hall of Famer, you're going to get an extra five cents. So are you guys ready to probably be able to retire on this pack of 1990 Upper Deck? Yes, I think I am. I can, the excitement, I can tell, mm-hmm. is, uh, is palatable at best. Do we get extra points if we get an A's hologram sticker? Well, I will give you, I'll, I'll send you a thank you note because I'll, I'll keep that. But uh, I do not see any hol. Oh, there it is. It's in the middle. 
and it's an Oakland A's hologram. Yes. <laughs> so I, I guess I owe you a thank you note in the mail. I'll be sure to get that. That's crazy. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's start here. We are going to start with a Texas Ranger, somebody that we have not mentioned today. It is infielder Jeff Kunkel. Oh, yeah. I remember the name. He was on a father-son card in the 85 top set because his dad, Bill Kunkel, played in the majors. Really? Going to have to believe you on that because I love his last name, Kunkel. Uh, this is a great shot because he has got the uh, the batting helmet with the ear flap that is the same. You know, there's it doesn't really protrude like they normally do, so it looks kind of strange. But that card, shockingly enough, is not worth anything, and there's no uh, no extra value yeah, anything he was bad. He, he did not play. He was injured all of 91, came back in 92, and was just as bad as he was before and then out of baseball. He was also listed on his 89 Fleer card as an infielder pitcher. <laughs> so I'm assuming he pitched at some point in a blowout, and they thought that that was enough to uh, to list him as a pitcher. He pitched in 89 and 90, or no, 88 and 89, two straight years. Yeah. And, and they thought that that was enough to list him as a pitcher. Yeah. Oh, very nice. All right. Next, uh, from Cleveland, it's a pitcher. I believe he's gone on to be a pitching coach. It is John Farrell. I thought he managed. Didn't he manage? Did he manage yeah. as well? I'm not sure Red off Sox, the top of my head. Blue Jays, somebody. That sounds kind of right. He was an Indian, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's on Cleveland here. Uh, John Farrell apparently did manage. He apparently managed for quite some time. Yeah, Blue Jays. Uh, He managed the Blue Jays for two years, and then the Red Sox for five years, in uh, including the 2013 Red Sox that I don't know if you know this or not won the World Series. Mm. He has a mustache, doesn't he? Uh, He does not. Uh, A young John, clean-shaven John Farrell here, looks very young. Uh He's got a good smile there, though. All right, so you're still sitting at zeros. Next, we are going to go to outfielder for the Detroit Tigers, Tracy Jones. Quite a pack you've got going on here so far. Tracy Jones, no value in Beckett. And, you know, he's kind of got a five o'clock shadow thing going on out of just pity at this point. I'm going to give you a, a cent for that to get you on the board. Okay, I don't even have anything interesting to say about him. No, he went to Loyola Marymount. And that was 1990 was the year that uh, Loyola Marymount was uh, scoring like 140 points in college basketball and Hank Gathers died. But, you know, we love we t- basketball and football. We talk about a lot. We're big fans on this show. So it may have been the next. It may have been the next. Yeah. All right. This guy, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. I've never heard of him. He's a pitcher for the Yankees. And we've already discussed how awful the Yankees were this season. Dale Mahorsik. Mahorsik. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> wow. Has, have, have, has anybody heard of him? Yeah, he came up I with mean, the Rangers. I baseball cards. No offense to the Morsic clan, but I have never heard of this gentleman. He does have a mustache, though. Yeah. Um, he came up as a 30-year-old for the Rangers. Yeah, I was going to say, this was not his first year in the big leagues either. All right, this guy is our first player that we've actually talked about earlier in the uh, in the episode. He ended up as a member of the World Series winning Cincinnati Reds. He broke his bat over his back on a follow through against Dave Stewart. It is Glenn Braggs, outfielder for the Brewers. I'm sure the prospect luster had worn off of him by this point, but he was a hot prospect when he came up in like 87. 
Yep, nothing, uh, nothing in Beckett. He does have, uh, does have a mustache here. So you, I mean, he was you're up in to the, three cents. He was in the big Ron Robinson, Bob Sebra trade that we talked about earlier. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> the blockbuster. All right, next. This is one of my. Uh, he's right up there with Rick Sutcliffe in terms of one of my least favorite color announcers, former player. Here he is with the Expo, so he gets points for for the uniform. It's Rex Hudler. Mm. He came up last. He came up last episode. Yeah, it, it probably in the the worst worst position player section. He was wasn't he a utility man? Yeah. Oh yeah. So oh he was no the one who was milking for- a cow on a card. That's what we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've I've only brought that up because somebody else mentioned him. Well, if he was milking a cow on this card, I would give you an extra cent. But he is not. But he does have real stirrups on, so that will bring you up to four cents and uh, really live in large. Yeah, you got to <laughs> add that to your standard rules, and that's a game. That's going to be a game changer. A cent for the milking cow on the card. Milking cow or a McDonald's logo on your sweatband is an automatic additional point. Uh, next, this guy uh, was a former athletic, but here he is with the Dodgers sporting a mustache. It is Mike Davis. Um, no value from Beckett. Mike Davis, wasn't he on base when uh, Kirk Gibson hit his home run? Yes, he was for sure. I'm pretty sure he drew a walk. Um, Mike Davis seems like the most common name ever. He's the only Mike Davis to play in the ma- to ma- play Major League Baseball. Huh. Well, he's got a mustache, so that'll bring you up to five cents. Here we come, uh, Schaefer. This next is a good-looking card. This, this is a good-looking card. I don't know that it's going to get you any value, but it is first baseman for the Cardinals. It is Pedro Guerrero. And he is crossing home plate at Wrigley Field and giving a high five to Vince Coleman. So it's a great looking card. Oh, I d- I'm just not sure if it's going to have any value. Got any stirrups down there? Jeez. Yes, he does. He's got a mustache and he's got real stirrups on. And I'm you know, here's what I'm going to do. Vince Coleman has got some real stirrups and Vince Coleman has a mustache too. So I'm going to give you four <laughs> cents on this bad boy because Beckett has rendered it worthless. Now, as I like to do, especially on these upper deck, I love to look at the pictures on the back. And uh, on the back, it's undoubtedly from the same game because it's at Wrigley. And he is sliding into second base and somebody's slapping a tag on him. I thought it might be Ryan Sandberg, but it is not. But it's still a good picture on the back of the card, which is fun to look at. Yeah. All right. Next uh, pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, Mike Lacoste. Oh, he's he's a he may be a uh, he might be one who's in the baseball beyond betting average Hall of Fame. He's a he's a player who um, is the epitome of that difference between baseball reference war and Fangrass war. They're like huge differences in the two of his his career numbers are big time difference. Well, Beckett does not reflect that, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, no value there. Uh, he does have a nice mustache going on there, so you'll get one cent. You're in double digits, 10 cents. You're really rolling now. Next, this guy, we've talked about his nickname several times before, catcher for the New York Yankees. It's Sluggo Don Slot. I wonder, do they call him Arm Slot? Maybe if he was a pitcher, he would be Arm Slot. (laughs) Um, No value in Beckett, but he's got a mustache. He would have real stirrups because he's a catcher, but we can't see him because he's got his gear on. 
Now, if I were to tell you that you've got a Scott service card here, you might go, oh, well, you know, current manager of the Seattle Mariners. No, this is pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies, Scott service. You got our hopes up so much. <laughs> yes, because I'm sure the other Scott service, the catcher, would likewise be worth, would be very valuable. Now, this is his rookie card. And he's number 35, so maybe they thought highly enough of him. Oh, you've scored your first Beckett value. (laughs) Because this is a rookie card, it is worth three cents. Plus, he's got that mustache. So that's a four cent card right there. That's your your best to date to bring you up to 15 whole cents. this This is Scott Service, the pitcher? Yes. So Scott Service... He pitched five games in 1988. He did not pitch again in the majors until 1992. He had a long career. <laughs> I mean, he pitched into the 2000s. But he didn't pitch, wow. he didn't play anywhere near 1990. <laughs> well, Upper Deck had had an had a source that told them he's going to make the club and he's going to be an impact player, but it just didn't come to fruition. All right, next this one will certainly help you. Uh, pitcher for the Bucks, it's Brian Fisher. And I am being very facetious. Oh, my uh, Lord. <laughs> that card is worth nothing in Beckett, and he's got nothing that's going to help you on the card. Yeah, he was not good. <laughs> he was good as a rookie. You guys are going to need, like, six Hall of Famers in, in a row. In 1985, he, at 23, he had a 170 ERA plus in 55 games, and then he was bad. All right. Three cards remaining. It's starting to get dire here. Hey, can I just I point out a factoid? Two out of the, I don't know how many cards we've been through, but two of the players have been involved in two separate trades that also involve Cecilio Guante. <laughs> well, I'm glad you told me oh, now because no. if you would have told me when we drew them, I would have maybe minus descent for that <laughs> for Cecilio Guante, but. <laughs> So this one's not going to be probably, well, he's got real stirrups on. Pitcher for Atlanta, Jose Alvarez. Oh, yeah. He was another old rookie. Is he? I I am not remembering him. And uh, Beckett apparently does not know of him either. But he does have some stirrups, so that's good news. That's You're up to 16 whole cents. Still not even sniffing the top 10, but, you know. Have we... We've only had like one card that had value other than mustaches and stirrups or pity You points. are correct. <laughs> yes. And it was Scott Service. <laughs> uh, former Mariner Chris Snelling only ended up with 21 cents. So you, uh, you do need five more cents in two cards to tie him. And I'm just going to tell you, it's looking like that's going to be a chore. <laughs> Your second to last card here is pitcher for the Rangers, Jose Guzman. Oh, yeah. He's got a nice mustache. (laughs) mustache. We don't give extra points for good mustaches uh, in the Beckett scoring. He also did did not play anywhere near. He he played in 88 and then again in 1991. So he missed the 89 and 90 season as well. (laughs) Upper Deck got some bad info. Real bad info. All right. So this is it. Your final card. We've talked about him in this in this episode. In fact, I asked a question about him that that nobody knew the answer to as to who was the closer for the Texas Rangers in 1990. It is uh, well, this is a rookie card, so fingers crossed. 
for Kenny Rogers. Oh, yeah. There's got to be some value on a Kenny Rogers rookie. Well, that would be quite a gamble. And you would lose that. There is no value in that. Islands in the stream? Come on. Yeah, well, listen, I am a, I am a big fan of, of <laughs> Stroker Ace. Or was that Burt Reynolds? So what was the Kenny Rogers racing movie? I thought it was Six Pack? One of those two. Yeah, I don't know. Six Pack, I, I do want to mention, you can't really see uh, in this card because the Rangers logo is covering it up. But what Kenny Rogers is doing here is he is catching a football. Now, does anybody remember the significance of... Or, or can guess what the significance of Nolan Ryan's card has him throwing the football, right? Uh, I'm In not the sure. In the 1990 upper deck. Well, the the reason I ask is is because if you if you remember who the pitching coach was of the Rangers at this time, it was Tom House, and Tom House was famous for having his pitchers warm up by throwing a football because it's the same motion that he wanted his pitchers to to throw with. That's one of those stupid things I remember that will make me zero money in my life, but uh, I can remember as opposed to important things. And that's why every You're baseball team does that now. They all do that. Oh, wait, nobody does that because it's dumb. <laughs> Kenny Rogers has 219 career wins, 50.5 career uh, baseball reference. He got, he got one Hall of Fame vote. How many saves was it? Was it just from eighty nine and ninety, or are those his only save seasons? He got five more in ninety one, and then after that, none. So he had no. He had six more in ninety two. So yeah, his first four seasons, he racked up his all of his twenty eight career saves, and also uh, destroyed one television camera during a slump. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but he had a little no. little little run in with the media. There are two. Upper deck cards with Nolan Ryan throwing a football. His 89 upper deck and the 1990, some card with like five drawings of Nolan Ryan. One of them has him throwing a football again. (laughs) (laughs) I can guess since you said drawings uh, of what you're speaking of. And so first of all, let's wrap up Wax Back Heroes here. I hate to tell you this, but you have finished with a total of 17 cents. I was excited for this pack. I thought we might get some good value, but I was like Upper Deck's rookie information completely wrong. And I apologize. Is that the worst pack ever? Uh, yes. <laughs> it in fact is. Yeah. That looks like Upper it. Deck would be the worst pack ever. Uh, maybe we can have you back another time and you can try another, another shot at this. But uh, so let's wrap up Wax Packs Heroes and uh, get ready to close the show. But I would like to have you guys share with everybody one, uh, some information about your podcast and then also your Twitter accounts because both of your Twitter accounts are very, very interesting and great follows. So if you want to tell us about those. Yeah, so I'm at Mosley underscore Mark, M-O-S-L-E-Y underscore Mark. My Twitter name is I Draw Baseball Cards and that's what I do. I draw baseball cards and share them. They're just my little doodles. They're for fun. People like them. You do some very creative stuff, though. I mean, beyond drawing them, you've also done some kind of interactive ones, and uh, they're very cool. Do not sell yourself short. People do really like them. I I like them quite a bit. 
And uh, Andy? Yeah, so I am uh, at Sport Card Backs. I, I uh, put pictures of uh, baseball card backs um, and uh, usually try to make jokes about it. They're usually not funny. And then... Um, Wait, they're jokes? Yeah, see? And, oh. and then our podcast is at BBBA underscore podcast. I think I said the right number of Bs. It's three Bs. And you can find them uh, if you are listening to this podcast. You should have no problem finding them on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Yeah. Uh, you should be able to find them as well. You guys have a rather large back catalog as well that is uh, some of my favorite things to listen to. I have espoused my appreciation for your Kirby Puckett Don Mattingly episode. You recently did a Tim Raines, Ricky Henderson episode. Your Mount Rushmore episodes were some of my favorites as well. Some really, really good stuff. One of my favorite baseball podcasts. I'm glad we could finally figure out something to do with you guys because uh, it's it's fun to uh, to get to talk with you guys. So really appreciate you coming on and, and doing these uh, this two part episode with us. So hopefully we can we can do it again. And um, I will definitely get this thank you note in the mail for this A's hologram sticker because I'm very excited and I'm going to go put it on something as soon as we're done here. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was a blast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on ours. Yeah, certainly. Let's uh, wrap this one up. It was a little bit longer than our usual episode, but I think it was uh, it was really good. I, we had a, I think we all had a good time. Uh, hopefully our listeners did too. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us at 2 Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise on both Twitter and Instagram. We are on uh, YouTube as well. We've got some videos up there. Mark from Two Strike Noise, uh, do you want to tell them how to get a hold of us electronically? Yes, we have one of those uh, newfangled electronic mail addresses, and that is Two Strike Noise, spell it out, T-W-O, strike noise at gmail.com. All right, so uh, that'll do it for this episode. We will be back again next week where we will uh, look at something stupid and talk some more baseball. So until then... Thank you very much. We'll see you on the next uh, Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.